Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of TheMindRenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today it's a great privilege to be speaking with the constitutional attorney and author John W. Whitehead, president of the Rutherford Institute at Rutherford.org, which is a leading non-profit civil liberties organisation based in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is committed to providing legal services at no charge to those whose constitutional and human rights have been threatened or violated. John Whitehead holds the Doctor of Law degree from the University of Arkansas School of Law and has written, debated and practiced widely and long in the area of constitutional law and human rights and is a frequent guest on US and uh, indeed international radio and TV. And he is indeed the author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People. John Whitehead, thank you very much indeed for joining us on The Mind Renewed. Hey, thank you, sir, for having me on your program. It's a delight to be speaking with you. Now, I mentioned uh, just there, before we get on to the main subject, what we're going to be talking about, I mentioned there your book. Could you just give us a brief idea of what your book is about? My book is about all the things we're seeing today from the NSA surveillance on all American citizens. Uh, most uh, people don't realize, it's still in this country, that the NSA downloads almost 2 billion emails daily of American citizens, millions of text messages, Facebook pages. In fact, FBI agents admit that they actually go on, as well as other government agents, and they pretend to be people's friends and uh, watch your Facebook page and report on you. And one reason they do this, and this is a new thing that's just developed, and I'm sure you have that in your country as well. It's developing all over the world. It's what the governments are calling threat assessments. Mm -hmm. They look at uh, everything you're doing on Facebook, Twitter, speeding tickets, arrest records, and they come up with what they call threat assessments, algorithms of everything you've done. And uh, in this country, you have green, yellow, and red threat assessments. Green is minimal, yellow is potential threat, and then red, of course, is someone that they have to watch out for. You can have the police arrive at your door in this country. They have what they call SWAT team raids here, and I don't know what you have over in England but or Great Britain, but... There's over 80,000 SWAT team raids in this country where policemen go through doors in black outfits, armored outfits, and kids have gotten shot. Did you say there's 80,000 per year? 80,000 a year, up from 3,000 in the 1980s. Those have greatly increased, mainly for marijuana raids in this country. And uh, kids have gotten shot, and many times they're in the wrong home. Mm. They're just crashing through doors. Uh, But that's part of this threat assessment thing that really bothers me. So what we're seeing in this country, the Department of Homeland Security here has armed all the federal all the federal agencies in America. Dealing with American citizens, they have armored vehicles now. They dress like Army soldiers, helmets, guns, and they've even actually, the Department of Homeland Security in this country has bought hollow-point bullets for all their agents, 1.6 million. They expand on contact. It's the bullets that blow your arms off, basically. They're, in many countries, they're against the law. It violates various international treaties. But in America... You have uh, the Department of Fisheries now with hollow-point bullets and armored vehicles. So America has basically become, uh, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn says it, the great Russian expatriate, he said that, you know, uh, wars abroad and military empire work, and all the things we're seeing America do, is just an excuse for, you know, domestic tyranny. And that's the actual quote, domestic tyranny, he used it. And we're seeing it in this country, and it's uh, getting quite frightening. So I would... If people in Great Britain and other countries, I'm warning them, do not go down this road because you don't want to see these guys crashing through your doors in the middle of the night. Just because you go on Facebook. Some people go on Facebook and do their finger like a gun, just, you know, goofing around, being silly. 
and bingo, they get arrested for it or get reported to the police and the police investigate them. So just joking around today on Facebook can get you in a lot of trouble. They're watching everything. Well, there's some of the things that you say in your posts that, you know, chime with me. And I think, oh, yeah, there are some things that are happening here which connect with what you're saying. And uh, you say the book is titled Battlefield America, the war on the American people. So you very much see this as targeting the American people themselves as a, as a primary motive, do you? Well, we're, in this country, we're targeting the American people. Of course, you know, uh, America does a lot of military acts overseas. Uh, President Obama, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, dropped over 23,000 bombs in the Middle East just mm. last year. America, by the way, is uh, looking a lot, <laughs> as I say it in the book, we're moving toward what uh, happened in Nazi Germany and uh, the Soviet Union in this country. There's nothing you do in this country that's basically private anymore. They, the government admits they're watching everything. And uh, with the SWAT team raids coming through people's doors in the middle, they do it in the middle of the night. And like I say, as I show in my book, Battlefield America, people getting, you know, kids are getting shot, wrong apartment, wrong, wrong buildings, those kind of things. So it's a warning to other countries, do not go down this road. It is not a good road to go down. Absolutely. And uh, I've been finding your commentaries over there, rutherford.org, actually really very informative, actually very challenging. You know, I wouldn't say they're comfortable to read, but certainly very challenging, interesting to at least try to come to terms with. And uh, one particular one that I want to ask you about today is the one that you wrote last week, which is called America's Gestapo, the FBI's Reign of Terror. And I'm going to ask you about that in just a moment. But could you tell us just a little bit more about the Rutherford Institute itself, because you you set that up back, I understand, in 1982, quite some time ago. So what was it around that time that prompted you to form this institute? I was getting, uh, I was a young lawyer, and there were many people coming to me that could not get help, uh, Christians, Jewish people, and others, that other legal groups wouldn't deal with. And so I started helping a lot of religious folks, mainly Christians, and uh, as uh, I saw the development, I started the Rutherford Institute based on that. I raise money and defend people in the courtroom for free. They don't have to pay if we take on their case. And since then, I've you know handled every virtually every kind of case. We have a Bill of Rights here, which have a First Amendment saying that you people have the right to free speech. We have a Fourth Amendment that says the police are not supposed to crash through your door in the middle of the night, although they do. So we're protecting people's rights and hopefully to keep this country from sliding into fascism, which is where I. Again, I've written uh, my book, Battlefield America. I have several chapters on my fear that we're headed in that direction in this country. And uh, people better be alert. And again, it's a warning to other countries. Mm. And of course, one of the hallmarks of this slide into fascism is where you start to get the population to spy on each other. And this is what you have in this article here, America's Gestapo. And let me just quote from what you write here. You say, quote, as part of the government's so-called ongoing war on terror, the nation's de facto secret police force is now recruiting students and teachers to spy on each other and report anyone who appears to have the potential to be, quote, anti-government or, quote, extremist. So can you tell us about this recruitment program? How is this being implemented? It's a uh, high school program where there will be a course taught on how to identify a, an extremist, which is the same as the terrorists in this country, which all these, like I say, these armed troops in our country are aimed at fighting so-called domestic extremists. But at the same time, the FBI admits in this country that crime in America right now is at a 40-year low. So Americans are not very violent or criminals. But in 2009, President Obama's government issued three memos that was called Right-Wing Extremism and Left-Wing Extremism and Operation Vigilant Eagle. 
these extremism memos basically targeted returning veterans, the right-wing groups for people who opposed abortion, things like that. They were considered extremists. In the left wing, this was the amazing thing, the left wing <laughs> extremism memorandum was groups like PETA, environmentalists, people like that were considered yeah. extremists that had to be watched. The third memo was Operation Vigil Eagle, and that was watching any returning veterans. Supposedly returning veterans are people to be watched. By the way, you may not realize this, but in America, most of the people coming back from Afghanistan are not even allowed to have a weapon now. They're automatically diagnosed with PSTD post-traumatic syndrome, and a lot of the veterans complain about it. They can't even own a hunting rifle, and so they were all automatically put in the extremist list. In fact, we've defended returning Army veterans in this country who have just done Facebook posts, and they've been arrested saying that they disagree with President Obama. They've been arrested and put in jail. We've got them out of jail. Well, just for criticizing foreign policy. That's all they've done. Exactly, exactly, right. and this is part of the program that they're teaching high school students mm. in this country. Uh, how to spot an extremist. It's basically, if you read the, the program, it's basically anybody that, you know, someone who who wears strange makeup on a day or does anything strange or out of, out of sequence, uh, you're supposed to report now. Mm. Again, as I mentioned, Nazi Germany. As I've studied Nazi Germany, uh, where there weren't SWAT team raids in Nazi Germany, the police didn't have to do that. The average person turned in their neighbors. That was like 90% of the people that wound up in concentration camps were reported by neighbors and so-called friends. So what we're doing in this country right now is we're, we're training people, and even neighbors here, the, the government is telling neighbors to watch other neighbors and report suspicious behavior. Is a neighbor taking a picture, of, say, of another house or a building? That's automatically puts you in the extremist list in this country. And you can be rounded up or, or talked to by a government agent. We defend talk show hosts here, radio talk show hosts here, that complain about the government. We had one who went home after he complained about Hillary Clinton and her actions in Benghazi. That night, he was uh, the FBI was waiting for him when he got home. They were listening to his radio station. Oh, so they're listening to everything here. Mm-hmm. It's a very frightening scenario. Yeah. You were talking there about uh, 2009, and one of the documents that came out around that time was called Right-Wing Extremism, which I think you mentioned there. And in the piece that you wrote, you said that the language is constructed so that words like anti-government and extremist and terrorist are used pretty much interchangeably as if they mean the same thing interchangeably yeah i noticed that uh, some of the language was uh you know basically anybody that was uh didn't like the way or, or didn't like government that automatically puts you on the extremist list but what bothered me about the memos as i read them mm. and this is under president obama was that the words extremist and terrorist were used in the same sentence so you, you could get the conclusion that <laughs> if you don't like the way government's operating in this country you can be labeled a terrorist and, and by the way in some of the cases that we've handled like we had a Marine who opposed Obama very vigorously in his Facebook post, and uh, he was arrested and put in a mental hospital. He was there a week before we got him out. A SWAT team pulled him out of his home. Decorated Marine. You see, what I find so disturbing here, sitting here in the UK, is that we have things like this shaping up, and we already have a so-called prevent duty where, you know, school teachers, lecturers, other people in, in public service are, are supposed to look upon their students and check what they're doing, you know, for signs of, quote, non-violent extremism, and the UK government wants to roll out these things called extremism disruption orders and extremism banning orders for, again, for non-violent extremism, and yet they won't actually define 
what that means. Well, they give some sort of half-baked definition. I'll just uh, give you an idea of what that is. I mean, it's vocal or active opposition to fundamental British values. And then when you drill down to what on earth does British values mean, you know, and, and that is people who speak against um, democracy, the rule of law, individual liberty, mutual respect and tolerance of different faiths and beliefs. And that's about as tight as the definition gets. And so, of course, loads of people are saying over here, well, you know, what does it mean to speak against democracy if you think that political, uh, philosophical anarchism, you know, you're not somebody who's running in the streets, but somebody who thinks that an anarchist society would be a good thing. Is that to speak against democracy or somebody who says that it's okay to spoil your ballot, you know, as, as a protest? Is that against democracy? It's all, it's all so woolly that pretty much anybody could be caught by these definitions. In fact, I wrote an article, and people go to our website at rutherford.org, that's rutherford.org. It's called Dangerous Speech. Would the founders be considered domestic extremists today? I looked at the people we call our founding fathers here who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Just by reading some of their writings, <laughs> they, would, yeah. they would be extremists today and could be rounded up and put in jail. I mean, just for some yeah. of the things they say. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, people you're familiar Thomas Paine would be put away today in America because he was so anti-government. But here's the point. In free countries, you have a right to speak out, mm. to oppose government, as long as it's not violent. Mm. And the people that we see in this country that I see speaking out are not violent people. And uh, they're getting rounded up, put in jail, labeled terrorists, those kind of things, and extremists. But the thing that I'm worried about, and I'm being concerned about in England as well as here, is that by getting fellow citizens to what I call rat on other citizens, mm. to inform on them, it completely undermines trust in each other. Uh, we're losing the right to privacy. I mean, I know this is happening in Great Britain as well. You have Google, you have Facebook, all that stuff there. Facebook is watching everything. Facebook now boasts that they know what time you get up and what time you go to bed by when you click on Facebook. They're also mapping the world now, Facebook. All these groups, and here in this country, I don't know about it, Great Britain, but they actually they work really closely with the government here. The NSA and other intelligence groups have million-dollar contracts with the government to do that, to collect information. So the future, if we don't see uh, a lot of freedom-speaking people in Great Britain, other countries, America, start speaking up, we're moving into what I would say a one-world type situation. You want to call it a one-world government, whatever, where there will be very little freedom. You combine that with all the development of drones these days. I mean, America's, America already has 40 military bases in this country that are flying drones over this country, scanning devices, weapons, all those kind of things, and hacking into your Wi-Fi, uploading your information. Yeah, there are a number of things that I want to ask you about. Uh, you brought up the New World Order, as it were. That, that of course, is one of the things that's on the list that that particular uh, witness, uh, James Wesley Rawls, I think he's called, spoke about. There's a whole list of things here that puts you on an immediate kind of uh, suspicion list, and one of them is belief in a New World Order conspiracy. So that puts you there straight away. It puts me there straight away. <laughs> well, it's happening. Terrible. There's no doubt that's happening. We're moving into... Uh, Maybe not a one-world government. We're dealing uh, with the – well, listen, the NSA has their Echelon program. They have their Five Eyes program. They have bases all over the world. They're snooping on what you're doing in Great Britain. Mm. They have bases all over the world. Uh, Google is all over the world, and Google works intimately with the NSA and FBI. I mean, they work mm -hmm. with them. 
and so does Facebook. Yeah, well, I think people need to know, you know, the kinds of things are, that they're looking for because this particular person, Rawls or whatever his name is, who worked in law enforcement for 18 years apparently, and he went to these various training sessions, and he said that these kinds of things, and this is what you put in your article, these kinds of things were flagged up as something that people should be suspicious of, and it included things like, as I say, the New World Order conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, but being concerned about constitutional rights, civil liberties, homeschooling, um, religious views concerning the book of Revelation, and actually believing there might be an antichrist coming on the scene one day. I mean, these kinds of things are normal (laughs) beliefs. It's quite extraordinary that these should be flagged up. Well, sure, fear of an economic collapse puts you on extremists with buying gold. (laughs) (laughs) Voicing your fears about big brother or big Mm -hmm. government. Those are all items to be watched by the government now, even in the school. So they're teaching the kids to do it as well. That's an extraordinary one, though, isn't it? Because virtually everybody is concerned about big government these days. You know, and after the Snowden revelations, it's what everybody is, you know, it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. So that does actually mean that school children are being taught that everybody is to be suspect. They're being taught to shut their minds off. In America, I mean, I talk to school kids uh, here, young kids in uh, elementary school, you know, like before the teen years. And they, they tell me they have forbidden words they can't say today. They have a whole long list of them. So they're afraid to say certain words. And that's one of my great fears is, is that we're going to be afraid to speak. Privacy is going away because everything, you, you know, it's George Orwell, <laughs> the great writer. Wow. He yeah. said this is where we were headed. Aldous Huxley said the same thing. And I, I talk about these gentlemen in my book, Battlefield America. They were prophets. Philip K. Dick was another writer, science fiction writer, that talked about all this. He saw it coming. They said, this is where it's headed with all this technology. But most people have not kept up with where technology is going, and all of a sudden it's here. It's the old maxim. Once you start talking about an idea in public, it's a public debate idea. It's already happened. We're talking about the loss of privacy, about new world order and those things. Once you start talking about it, it's already arrived. So we're in a situation that... And I'm hoping young people today will clue in, get involved, and uh, do something about this. But I'm afraid that the way they're going, especially in this country, with drumming it into kids' heads that they've got to watch someone who's different and report them to the government. We're moving down a really bad road. Absolutely. And this came over from looking at the link that you put to this video by the FBI, Don't Be a Puppet, it's titled. And they say on that video that they're concerned about violent extremism. They do continually use that phrase. And they do actually say it is important to note that it is legal to have hateful or extremist beliefs as long as you don't commit crimes or violence based on those beliefs. But they associate, constantly associate, non-violent activity with violence. And the, the way that they do that constantly, I would have thought, would give the impression to children that, oh dear, we mustn't be associated with any of these, quote, twisted beliefs and values or ideologies that they talk about on the website. Well, one of the forbidden words in a lot of, most of the schools in America today is uh, what the kids call the G word. And when I first heard I went, what's the G word? And I asked one of them. She said, I can't say it. I said, can you spell it? So on a piece of paper, she spelled out the word guns. And I looked at her and I said, well, how how do you describe what the American troops are carrying in Afghanistan in their hands? And she looked at me. I said, is it a G? How do you explain what the policemen are carrying? (laughs) I mean, in this country, they're armored to the hill. Do you say he's carrying a G or can you say the word guns? And she wouldn't say the word guns. So... You know, you may be opposed to guns, but you can't say that word. I mean, what kind of mm. mentality that creates a mind of censorship 
that's afraid to say a word. Yes. And that's what's being taught in our schools today. It's absolutely ludicrous. You make the point in the article that, you know, we, we concentrate very much on the NSA, thanks to the Snowden revelations, uh, but actually the FBI's resources are really uh, extensive. Can you give us some idea of, of quite how extensive they are? Their budget on an annual basis is $83 billion. They have 56 field offices in this country. They have smaller offices throughout the country. They have the biggest database, DNA database, facial imprint. They have it all. I mean, they're uh, basically becoming a pre-crime unit, which is, and again, a movie, a book, movie I talk about in my book, Battlefield America Minority Report, if you haven't seen that. Mm, it's absolutely. pre-crime. They're moving to pre-crime. That's why you have what I talked about earlier, threat assessments. They're trying to stop people before they commit crimes. The problem is that you have to arrest innocent people. So, you know, and we're seeing that with the cases that we have here at the Rutherford Institute. The, the thing that most people, if you look at the history of the FBI, which I show in this article, America's Gestapo, which is on our website, is the FBI targeted Martin Luther King, the great civil rights activist in this country, a guy who, by the way, all he talked about was nonviolence. He was against violence. They collected 17,000 pages of information against him to put him away. They tried to put him away. John Lennon, the former Beatle, they collected a huge file on John Lennon. Why? Because he was a peace activist. He was against war. And there's a list, just a tall list of, of people who were nonviolent, good people that the FBI has targeted. And it's because they have so many resources. One thing they're doing here, which is quite dangerous, is they're moving FBI agents into local police departments in America, and their sole job is to watch social media. So they watch what people are putting on Facebook, Twitter, and in their emails to see if they're possible extremists. That's the lay of the land in this country, but they have unlimited resources, $83 billion and the biggest DNA database in the world. And they're doing familia, by the way. They're looking into your family history, if they have your DNA, to see if there's a troublemaker back in your past. I say, really? Yeah. And, you know, genetically, are you more yeah. prone to rebellion? But if you look at history... Rebellion has been the basis of freedom. People who rebel, who just say, I don't like it. Martin Luther King's a good one. John Lennon's another one. People that they watch. Mm -hmm. Rebels. Yeah, but w wouldn't people say that, uh, you know, those sorts of things happened under the COINTEL program? Okay, so the 1950s and it ended, supposedly ended in the 1970s with the, the, the church committee, etc. They're still, they're still doing the basic same thing without the name. Yeah. yeah. As the cases we see, like I say, a talk show host who criticizes Hillary Clinton goes home that night and the FBI is waiting on it. See, the technology allows them to watch everything now. Right. If they had had, I'll be honest with you, and I've said this, if they had had the same technology they had today when Martin Luther King was marching, they would have put him, they would have stopped him, in my right. opinion. Right. Yeah, he had yeah. a past. It wasn't great. In fact, an FBI agent actually sent Martin Luther King a letter telling him to commit suicide. And I have it in my book, a picture of it detailing that if he didn't commit suicide, they were going to release his facts about his life that he didn't want anybody knowing. Wow. This is the government. Yeah. Now, should the government be doing that kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually love to speak to William Pepper about that. Um, I have yet to get in contact with him, but that would be fascinating to look into that situation. Um, you also say that they're involved with entrapment in a big way as well. Could you give us some idea about what's going on with that? Oh, yeah, they have a long history, and this is from credible sources, New York Times, the Guardian, by the way, how the FBI actually uh, will meet with certain people they think are potential terrorists, urge them to move forward, saying they want them to be an informant, and then when they commit the crime, they arrest them. They also use informants, well-paid informants, some up to $85,000 a year in this country, 
to mingle with groups. Uh, back in the 1960s was the first time I actually saw them in filter. They, the FBI agents would grow their hair long and grow a beard and smoke marijuana with hippie groups mm. while reporting on what they're doing, trying to entrap them. So there's a long history of that. I detail that in my book as well, Battlefield America. You mentioned national security letters. I don't know what the status of that is. I mean, is that actually part of the FBI toolbox? That came into being by mm-hmm. law. They call the U.S. Patriot Act in this country after 9-11. Yeah, they're basically letters. They're not approved by a judge or anyone. They show up at banks and get your bank information, uh, other information at your colleges, and then the the bank or the universities are not allowed or the schools are not allowed to tell you that they've been there. They have to take a code of silence. And there's been opposition to those, but they still exist, do they? They do exist. They use thousands each mm-hmm. year, yeah. They're very coercive. People get afraid. They're afraid to say anything because they're intimidated. But here's the thing. With all the uh, technology they have now, I mean, they, they can get all your bank records now because it's all electronic. And in this country, all your uh, health records are electronic now. So very, very difficult to keep anything private. Mm. One thing that really struck me was you talk about their surveillance capabilities. And, of course, you talk about their ability to intercept cell phone calls with Stingray technology, um, landline communications with Triggerfish, I think it's called. But you also mentioned they have an ability to remotely program people's computers to give up all the information that's on those computers. I mean, I understand that was proposed in 2014. Has that actually gone through? Can they actually do that? Yeah, yeah. They admit now that they can actually turn your cell phone on from a distance. It becomes a, a microphone and your laptop becomes a camera. With Stingray devices, I, I, you know, I don't know if your police use them in Great Britain, but what they are, they're little small boxes that fit in police cars. They're fake cell phone towers. They fool your cell phone. They drive by your home and download everything on your cell phone. And they just got caught here about two months ago, the FBI. They have dirt boxes they fly in private airplanes over America out of the seven major airports in this country. And it acts as a fake cell phone tower. They're like the Stingray devices, and they go over a city and collect information from cell phones, laptops, computers, and collect it, yes. They got caught. They admit now they do that. Cool. So this is the what they call network investigative techniques. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. It's called, uh, that sounds it okay, be, doesn't it? <laughs> in the old James Bond movies, it used to be called spying, but today they call yeah. it something else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to, to be absolutely clear to the UK audience here that, you know, this is not just coming off some you know, weird top of your head sort of thing. This is from The Guardian. I'm just quoting from The Guardian here where they talk about this. Uh, the technique involves, uh, quote, clandestinely installing malicious software or malware onto a computer that in turn allows federal agents effectively to control the machine, downloading all its digital contents, switching its camera or microphone on or off, and even taking over other computers in its network, end quote. Now, that immediately reminded me of a guest that we had on just a few weeks ago, a guy called uh, Charles Strange, who said that he was given by the Navy a disk that he put in his computer, put a virus on the computer, and all the information was copied to he doesn't know where. Um, So, you know, it does seem that that sort of thing, there's a bit of evidence that sort of thing is actually going on. It's going on. Countries that have sophisticated technology like Great Britain and other countries of this country, they're going to, yeah, China, wherever you may go. But I warn people, I mean, I have people who have left this country, by the way, and they've gone to South America, the Philippines. Mm. With the technology they have in the NSA's Echelon program, which the bases all over the world, and the Five Eyes program, they're snooping on everything. So getting away from the government these days, if they consider you an extremist or terrorist, it's going to be very, very difficult. 
And we have a kind of paradox here, don't we? Because the more people become aware of this in one sense, that's a good thing, because then perhaps we could try to think of what we can do about it. But on the other hand, becoming more aware of this means that it can actually have more of a chilling effect on free speech. And certainly the way I look at it, I think this is perhaps one of the main purposes of this in terms of a kind of social engineering. They want to chill free expression. So, I mean, how do we deal with this paradox? You make a really good point, yeah. Uh, social engineering is what it, I think it is. It's basically telling people, shut up, go home, watch television. You know, the average American in this country watches 150 hours of television a month. So most Americans are watching. The average uh, young person in this country is watching a screen device up to 32 hours a week now. So that's what they want you to do. Go home, relax, let us run things. And the problem is, like I say, with the SWAT team raids and all that stuff, you don't have to do anything wrong. And that's usually the question I get. Well, if I'm not doing anything wrong, John, why should I be worried? Well, I tell them you don't have to do anything wrong. You could be on an extremist list for saying something stupid on Facebook. So uh, how, how do we push it back? How we push it back is I tell people, get active, get out there, go to your government, get your picket signs, do what people in the past have done to hopefully get your government's attention and say we're not satisfied with the way this is going, but do it nonviolently. And I think John Lennon was right. He says they want you to be violent because then they can say, look, look, they're really violent. They're mean people. Martin Luther King right. said it in this country. Don't be violent. That's stupid. Just get together as groups, protest, and uh, show the government you disagree. But most people, as I find today, it's very difficult to get people organized, get them out there, and get them active. Yeah. So in a sense, you're actually saying to people, put yourself on the line, put yourself in a position where you could be called an extremist. Yeah, and I know a lot of people that do that. I mean, more and more people are saying to me, I'm not, I don't like this anymore. I want to do something about it. And I'm just saying, well, mm. uh, do what the great men of the past did. And they, just yes. didn't, they didn't put up with it. Uh, George Orwell, I mean, they didn't like it. They said, this is wrong. I'm going to fight back. I'm going I'm to tell people. Mm. You know, great writers, I mean, most of the stuff that we were warned about in this country came out of Great Britain, Aldous Huxley, George Orwell, yeah, and others. Yeah, yeah. They saw it first. Absolutely. And you say fight back, but you did make, you qualified that before by saying, obviously, non-violently. But I think one of the things that we need to be aware of is agent provocateur. This is something that I believe was even involved with COINTELPRO. And uh, it wasn't that many years ago that I think in Canada there was, uh, I think it was, um, I think it might have been the Security and Prosperity Partnership uh, protest that was going on and there were some police officers who were you know carrying rocks in that situation so we do need to be aware that these agents provocateurs could actually that, move us in that direction that happens here as well uh -huh. yeah we found out there were some uh 2014 2015 there was a few riots here and what was found out later was they were actually what they call paid crisis actors right. uh the government actually uses those yeah right. the department of homeland security is the ringleader in that in this country yeah there's a number of groups called the Halo Group. There's actually a group called Crowds on Demand. Mm. And there's MoveOn.org. If people want to look those up, you'll see that they, are, they actually get involved in protests. But they, what their job is is to basically discredit what the real protesters are doing. So be very, very careful. Plus, as I said, FBI agents in this country actually infiltrate protest groups and try to get them to go the wrong way. 
Yes. Absolutely. And you um, mentioned about the great writers and the great people of the past, and of course perhaps the greatest person of the past that we would want to look back to. And I think people would be surprised by this. Some people would be surprised by this would, of course, be Jesus. And you mentioned in a commentary that you wrote about, I think it was about a year ago, Jesus died in a police state. And you look back at Jesus and you say that we very often look upon him as being the meek and mild, and we forget, of course, that he was a very radical person in many ways. What would you say that we could learn from Jesus' ministry with respect to what we've been talking about today? Well, there was a reason he was targeted by the Romans. There was a reason he was crucified. And crucifixion was what you did to political adversaries, the Romans. And uh, Jesus, when he went into the temple with the whip and disrupted the commerce, and they blocked the ingress and egress and the doors, I mean, he was considered a radical in his day. I mean, if you had to talk to someone like Jesus today and living in the Roman Empire, which was a tyrannous you know, government, be very, very dangerous to do that. But he didn't seem to bother him. He went ahead and did it. I mean, he wasn't mm. meek and mild. He said what he thought. He he didn't like what they were doing in the temple and other things. And he was arrested at night by a snitch, by the way, an informant. And he was arrested by a group, as I show in it, like a SWAT team. They came in and got him and drug him out. Yeah. And he, he didn't even get a fair trial. So people should go on the website and read it. I go in great detail on what I'm saying there. But you can prove that Jesus wasn't someone who just stood around and watched injustice. He spoke up uh, at his day. But here's the key, nonviolently. Yes. And in fact, when I flagged up that piece by you about a year ago, I found that uh, picture called The Angry Christ, and I, I put it there with it. And I think people should look at that. I, I'll attach it to the show notes today, which actually shows the accusatory hand of Jesus pointing directly at you, whatever whatever it is he's saying, because that's up to one's imagination. But nevertheless, it wasn't standing by. You know, there definitely there was the accusatory tone there in the picture. Um one question before we end. I mean, you talk about the necessity of still standing our ground, and I absolutely agree with you, but we do, in those situations, particularly in protest situations, we run up against the difficulty of law enforcement personnel. They're being propagandized with this. That's their job. How do we reduce the possibility of conflict in those situations? It's going to be very difficult. i just be very honest with people. I'm a lawyer, and I deal with people here who want to protest. I always say, be careful. You could be infiltrated by the government, they could be, cause disruption. Uh, in fact, in this country, when people are planning protests, they're doing emails, etc. what happens is the FBI is reading them. They're actually going in and meeting with the people beforehand and warning them and threatening them, basically, that they could get in trouble. So it's going to be very difficult. I mean, the, the power here, the power, I'm sure, in Great Britain with the armored, armored policemen and the armored government agents, it's going to be very difficult. So we're up against something today that a Martin Luther King and people in this country did not face in their day. It's a highly armored, we live in a very strong police surveillance state. So it's going to be very difficult. But the question is, I always tell people at the end of the day, when you die, and I do believe we've gone to hopefully a better place, are you going to be asked, what did you do in your day to make things better? Did you just sit around and watch TV and smile? Or did you snitch on your neighbor? Or did you take a stand for truth and freedom? And I'm saying I'd rather take a stand for truth and freedom and have a better ride on the other side. Absolutely. Fantastic words to end with. I totally agree with you. And uh, I do thank you ever so much for joining us on the program. It's been really very interesting. It's been a privilege to speak with you. Could you just uh, remind people before we close uh, how they can find your website and about your book again? Yeah, my website is rutherford.org, rutherford.org, and my book is uh, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, available at Amazon.com. 
Thank you ever so much, John Whitehead, for joining us uh, today on The Mind Reviewed. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, sir. They tried to kill him when he was just a kid. They knew he was trouble. They wanted to keep the truth hid. Don't you know that Jesus lived in a police state? Oh, he died. Jesus died in a police state. The politicians didn't like him. The priest wanted him gone. He told them like it was. They didn't like his song. Don't you know that Jesus lived in a police state? Oh, he died. Jesus died. Look that devil right in the eye, he said. I'm not going away until I raise the truth from the dead. Don't you know that Jesus lived in a police state? Oh, he died. wasn't in that God was all about love. Don't you know that Jesus lives in a police state? Oh, he died. Jesus died in a police was a radical. He grabbed a big whip and he chased the thieves away. But now they had him in their grid. Don't you know that Jesus lived in a police state? Jesus died in a police state. Jesus was a rebel. He told Pontius to stick it. They beat him unconscious and led him to the pit. Don't you know? 
Jesus lived in a police state. Oh, he died. Jesus died in a police state. Bleeding, bruised, and torn, they nailed him to some wood. But he said they were forgiven if only they had understood. Don't you know that Jesus lived in a police Please.